This is your home for St. Cloud State Hockey, keeping you up to date on the NCHC. Women's WCHA. Dana Rasmussen fires and she scores! Dana Rasmussen for the Huskies. The National Hockey League. Kaprizov in for a chance to win it. He scores! Thrill the thrill is for real! Welcome to the NHL, a game winner. And everything from the state of hockey. Cloud Cathedral is now 42.6 seconds away from wrapping up the school's first ever title. Welcome to the Huskies Warming House Podcast Den. The Huskies Warming House podcast is also brought to you by the Soda Pod, home of MNCAA college hockey news and more. Stay wild and up to date with new episodes throughout every week. Find them on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, and other podcast platforms. Welcome into the Huskies Warming House podcast. Nick Maxson alongside myself, Noah Grant, for episode 200 here in the Dan, and we're approaching somewhere around 250 overall. Yeah, and it, are you, are you waiting for the Nickelodeon slime? You had that reaction. I was waiting for something to drop. Oh, wait, it just did. So, <laughs> yeah, it's uh, as we talked about last week. For those of you who missed it, of course, uh, we have probably about um, seven, maybe eight episodes max uh, coming out of the Huskies Warming House podcast uh, left. We are done after this season. We had a, a pretty strong announcement at Warming House Den on Twitter, X, whatever it's called now. Um, you can definitely catch up on that. We had a Pretty lengthy discussion, maybe about 12, 13 minutes to the open of our show for 199 last week. Um, but yeah, 200. Um, whether or not you consider a podcast good or not, um, I've always heard a lot of people, quote unquote, in the biz, which sounds about as vague as it gets. But yeah, 200 is a lot. And a lot of people say even yeah. 100 is hard to get to. I mean, it encapsulates four and a half years of our work. So um, and Truly, as we mentioned before, we're a lot closer to actually probably 250 with the interviews and things that we've done. So, um, yeah, it's been a, it's been a certainly crazy ride and uh, never in our wildest dreams. I didn't think we'd get to episode 20, <laughs> let alone yeah. 200. Uh, uh, there was a moment where we were sure if we were going to get to episode two after how yeah. things started, honestly, where. Uh, you know, to not give away the game a little bit, but um, let's just say that we had an idea, know of how we wanted to present the package, and there was other folks on board, and then literally on day one, those folks disappeared. So yeah, <laughs> um, we'll share more details on that once we get closer to um, shall I say that the final ribbon cutting, as we say, because um, since we've already jumped the shark, I think we can already say that. But, <laughs> you know, here's an interesting trivia question for you. Speaking of show history, what episode number is our lowest listened to show? Like it, it, essentially our show that has had the least number of audio video views. What episode was it and how many plays does it have? I'm going to guess episode three and 19. It is episode number seven. Okay. Six. <laughs> <laughs> 
And I wonder how many of those are us. us yeah. <laughs> me, me reviewing it to make sure it worked four times, probably. Pretty um, much, yeah. That was co- us coming right out, I think, like week two or three after we came back after about a month hiatus during the initial swing when we were pushed away from school because of COVID. Of COVID, yep. yep. I was going to say. Yep. yep. So uh, certainly the early years. So yeah, to get to 200 after that, again, as Nick kind of alluded to, Double digits was even a question mark at some point there, but uh, <laughs> but uh, nonetheless, we start episode 200 with uh, some little bit of controversy, I suppose, on Friday night in the men's game against Western Michigan. The men's team ultimately does take four possible points on the weekend, all things considered. We'll get into that series. On the women's side, we don't have a video breakdown for you this week because it was a very successful weekend for the women's side, so we'll recap those games quickly and then also talk a little bit about uh, the fact that they've got a big week coming up. Yes, they do. Very much so. As the WCHA quarterfinals start this upcoming week, you won't want to miss it. We start with Center Ice View News and Notes, presented by HuskiesIllustrated.com and the SodaPod. Center Ice View News and Notes. Center Ice View provides you with the best coverage of St. Cloud State Huskies hockey, from game notes, recaps, photos, and more. Go to CenterIceView.com. Episode 200, Nick Maxson alongside Noah Grant here in the Den, the Huskies Warming House podcast. We start with the men's hockey team, Nick, and this was a weekend in the NCHC. We started to see a little bit more fluctuation. I think the biggest surprise, and we're going to kind of talk about this, um, the the NCHC standings have continued at least through that number six spot to tighten up even more. I mean, we were at this point where we thought the top four was going to be kind of interesting. The middle of the pack, maybe like three through five was going to be kind of interesting. Now we've got kind of that six spot slowly creeping up with two weeks left in the regular season coming up here. Uh, I I mean, I I know we start every year thinking that this is going to be the year where you know, we're going to continue to see that parody and we don't really know what to expect. I'll uh, take a look at some of our uh, previews that we did this season. One thing we have gotten right so far is Duluth is likely to probably finish in seventh. Everyone scoffed at us mm-hmm. about that. Um, that might be the highlight we have. Other than that, it, we've yeah. pretty, we pretty much <laughs> missed the mark on everything else. Good news is I think a lot of other people missed the mark in the middle. Um, I think the only thing that maybe we well, really also missed was North Dakota. Yeah. You know, to be able to, to be honest, but everything else has been a crap shoot. So um, at the end of it, no, I'm not that shall we say upset by that because again, it's been kind of topsy turvy and uh, let's just say that uh, either way you do predictions to see how wrong you are and how right you are. So <laughs> yeah, uh, unfortunately for us, a lot of our big changes um, also came on the WCHA side. If we're talking predictions, uh, the women's team um, we'll get to them, but actually, you know, had they gotten a couple of those early games in January, we might be having an interesting conversation about additional games at the Herb Brooks national hockey center. But yep. anyhow, we will get to them. Of course, last weekend uh, in the NCHC, when we talked about fluctuation, well, Essentially, here's what we're talking about to cap off the month of February. Uh, let's take a look here from what we saw. Uh, Western Michigan and St. Cloud, of course, doing battle. We'll talk about them in just a second. Meanwhile, Minnesota Duluth was really no match for North Dakota. 6-0 on the first night, 4-2 on the second. Uh, pretty much the response you may be expected from the Fighting Hawks after uh, a yep. s- somewhat uncharacteristic weekend against Colorado College, who has been suddenly surging. We talk about the Tigers, by the way. 
How about the fact Omaha stealing a couple mm-hmm. of points from them, 3-0 on that first night, and then winning in a shootout 2-1, essentially tie by proxy in the pairwise uh, against CC on Saturday. Those games were at Baxter Arena in Omaha, and that put them back in contention to make things interesting. This upcoming weekend game gave Denver a bit of a sniff to kind of move up a little bit more. Well, Denver took control on Saturday 8-1, but how about we go back? Denver needed a shootout victory 4-3 against the Miami Redhawks on Friday to kind of get the job done. So, you know, certainly got a little bit more interesting than I think Denver would have really liked. We've seen that in the NCHC. Nobody nobody has really gotten an opportunity to pull away with some separation because every team has kind of given fits here and there. Now, I want to mention this, Nick, before we get to the standings. And I talked about this in our MNCAA group chat. And maybe this is a bit of a reach. Not that we've ever done that before on this show. Never. (laughs) Am I wrong in thinking that there is more than a 25% possibility that that Miami Redhawks team, I don't think they're going to win their first round in the quarterfinals, but I think they have an opportunity if they can get a game to maybe overtime or cling on to a one goal lead. I think they could push that first round series to three games. I don't think that's out of the question. So here's the good news. It's never out of the question when you're talking college hockey. Unfortunately, I can't buy it as more than 25% just because I know who their opponent's going to be. It's likely going to be North Dakota. And uh, let's just say this. I don't think North Dakota is going to overlook Miami, who gave them a scare earlier in the season at Oxford. So I think North Dakota, with the opportunity that's in front of them, um, is going to take advantage of that. Now, I think let's dig a little deeper, right? I think what essentially the other thing you're saying is Miami is a better team than what their record is showing. And I don't disagree with that. The issue is, is that a lot of the powers that be the casual college hockey fans look at Miami to look at the win loss column. And that's how they judge the hockey team on. Sadly, they are being judged on that right now. Um, so you can look at progress in two ways, right? I, I think they are playing better. The question is, no where Colorado College has found uh, ways to turn those losses into wins. Miami just simply hasn't gotten there yet, especially within the conference. So it's, again, you, you never say never. We've seen stranger things in college hockey. Um, for Gophers fans, holy cross. For saying cloud, it's AIC. Um, not to, you know, take away a scar or anything like that, but... Again, it's never zero, but I don't know if it's above 25%, as you may think. Right. The The thing that is nice compared to years past, though, Miami, I mean, they've had a couple of good weekends, gave North Dakota fits. Denver, of course, last weekend, they, they're not getting blown out of hockey games necessarily Correct. that we've seen, although, of course, the Saturday result was a good response from Denver, something we've seen close to years past. Like I said, I don't think you know, in a three-game series that they come out with two victories, but I certainly think that they can make at least one of those games interesting, maybe push it to three games, Um, and that just speaks to the parity of the NCHC, which will have an eight-team playoff for the last time this year. Next season, of course, it's going to change as well. Let's take a look at those NCHC standings, by the way. North Dakota, as you mentioned, in first place by essentially a single game. Uh, All teams have played 20 to this point. North Dakota with 43 points in line for the Penrose as we speak. Our St. Cloud State Huskies at 40 points denver at 36 good little four point cushion so to speak but you know 
Guess who the Huskies have this weekend? The team behind them in the Denver Pioneers. Uh, Colorado College, two points behind them, holding that last home ice spot at 34 points. Bit of a disappointing weekend for them, but they do pick up uh, an extra consolation point in the Saturday contest last weekend. Western Michigan, 31 points at fifth place. And then Omaha, now only three points shy in sixth at 28. Uh, If you want to be technical about it, essentially a weekend away from a home ice spot. Colorado College, six points from that fourth place spot. Minnesota Duluth, um, not total, yeah. not totally out of it in terms of getting to that sixth spot, but that's going to be about it. Essentially, they're chasing Omaha to try to get a better seeding advantage. Right now, it would actually be uh, a date with a very common first-round matchup that we've seen. They would actually be Duluth and St. Cloud if the playoffs started today. Um, and then Miami with seven points uh, going to get the first-place team no matter what. So, uh, Nick, we, we essentially take a look uh, at these Husky games, uh, you know, and a game in which Brett Larson admittedly talked about on night number one for St. Cloud, despite being in control scoreboard wise for a fair majority of this hockey game, I don't think he was enamored with the play that the Huskies had. Uh, this was just one of those contests where St. Cloud maybe kind of punched above their weight class relative to the way they played versus I think Saturday, the Huskies did a little bit better just controlling from start to finish western michigan out shooting st cloud in night number one 34 to 22 in front of a crowd of 3500 10-3 western in the first period which makes it all the more interesting that the huskies were the only team to score in period number one huskies out shoot western 10-9 in the second get out shot 13-8 in the third and 2-1 in the overtime session uh, which would ultimately go towards the broncos who did not have a power play opportunity in this game good discipline from st cloud who also went one for three on the man advantage so all things considered, doing all right. Just a shade under 500 in the faceoff dot. 34 wins, 36 losses for St. Cloud. Scoring did get started, though, Nick. As we mentioned, one of only three shots in the period. 13-33 mark. Adam Ingram found Ethan a coin for the first goal of the contest. That's intercepted. 2-1-1 on the other way. Adam Ingram now. A coin. Fanned on the chance. Opportunity, though, falls. The Huskies strike first. A fortuitous bounce in the offensive zone, you'll see Bump heals one, and it becomes a two-on-one. It was great recognition by Western on the matchup. I like the slide here. They're really good job of trying to prevent the pass, and St. Cloud is stuck with it. Ingram with a really nice pass across ice, and St. Cloud was able to stick with it. Bit of a broken play in transition, Nick. Um, you know, maybe trying to go essentially tape to tape back and forth there but hitting the back of the goaltender you'll take him any way you can if you fan on the initial opportunity again good play two on one in transition the huskies fortunate to get out of that first period leading one nothing um but that's kind of something we've been missing from saint cloud games when they haven't played their best is turning those defensive opportunities into transitional plays and a good finish ultimately for saint cloud yeah, I mean, it starts with their defensive positioning, too. Uh, the entire first game, St. Cloud had both of their wingers high on the defenseman. Uh, you saw there a blind pass, what he thought was going to be. I'm talking about the Western Michigan defender. Uh, blue line to blue line, you know, thought it was going to be tape to tape. All it was there was a white sweater. And then, as you mentioned, in transition, they're good two-on-one. Huskies had a couple of odd man breaks in that first period um, in Ingram maybe four inches off the ice, right? But just enough to get over the stick. Um, and then uh, Ethan O'Coin, right? Sometimes... 
you got to get a bounce, right, Noah? Yeah. Sometimes uh, you got to be able to be opportunistic. And I, I would characterize most of this game for St. Cloud's offense as opportunistic, mm-hmm. uh, not something that they, I would say, they generated and, you know, maybe earned. And, you know, to kind of put it in perspective why Brett Larson wasn't necessarily happy with this play, uh, spoiler alert, I don't disagree with them on that. Um, and then how about Ocoin, right? You fan on the shot, but you stay with it, right? And then this, the IQ in the moment to bank it off the back of Cameron Rowe to get you on the board. Uh, again, Huskies thoroughly outplayed in that first 20 um, and to get that opening goal, you know, maybe trying to settle things down. That was huge for St. Cloud. Certainly. St. Cloud's best period was the middle period, and they only they capped off their scoring in this hockey game in the second period with a pair. We actually had to wait 14 and a half minutes into the middle frame. Mason Salquist finding Kyler Kupka his 12th of the season for the Huskies. On the line with Michaels and Phillips on the right. Oh, a chance now, and Kyler Kupka knocks it past Rowe to double the Huskies in face-off. Coming off of a delay with an injury gives the offensive team a lot of time to discuss what they might want to do. This was one where Western Michigan actually got the better of the draw. Look how well St. Cloud went to work to get the puck back started with Kupka, who just blew right through his check. There's an old saying on face-offs, bumps before a route. And that's just the will to want to find the back of the net there, Nick, right? I mean, it's not often you see a guy who's yep. on the half wall off of a faceoff, out-muscle his defender and beat the weak side defenseman to get across the crease and score a goal like that. Um, I mean, that's why he's got 12 goals on the year. Doesn't that goal remind you almost like a Jules Eriksson type goal where, you know, off the faceoff and you're just winning a couple of battles, again, loose puck, uh, you cut towards a little bit of open ice that you have, and not only, not only are you able to shield it, but then you're catching Cameron Rowe in the push off with the legs wide open. I mean, that's just, there's skill and there's also some strength in that goal. Uh, very nice for St. Cloud, as you mentioned, their best period was the second, and a nice to cap it off with a late goal there by Kupka. You know, if you're talking wild players, almost reminded me of the Mikhail Granlin one nothing playoff OT winner from all those years ago, coming off the half wall, winning oh, yeah. a battle, just kind of fighting through mm-hmm. a couple of checks and uh, ends up in the back of the net. Speaking of guys that can put the puck in the back of the net, well, after this point, it was the Alex Bump show. (laughs) Just saying. Uh, Essentially, 29 seconds later after, uh, Luke Granger found Alex Bump for his 10th of the season. Western Michigan within one, just like that. Third goal for Krupka now in his last five games. Here's Bump the other way! Alex Bump! The Minnesota native striking on home soil! Great response! Big statement by Western Michigan. Great track back. Look how many numbers they get back, and they backtrack through the middle of the ice. Good sort outs. No space for St. Cloud State in the middle lane. And then they layer the attack going back the other way as St. Cloud State doesn't sort out as well. So Western wins the back check, and then they win the transition coming up ice and bump at all the time in the world. Yeah, and as former two-time podcast guest Dave Starman mentioned, uh, this is one of those times where the Huskies get burned in transition, right? They're not able to essentially yep. fend off the counterattack, not picking up guys trailing, not able to backcheck appropriately. And yeah, um, pretty goal. Hate to break it to you. It's not the prettiest goal he's going to score uh, in this hockey game. But uh, just like that, Western Michigan uh, essentially climbs right back into this one. 
And how about bump patiently, right? You talk about the, the entering the zone in layers, right? Yes, I think Starman mentioned that as well. Uh, but, you know, to be able to have the patience and not be too far ahead in that play um, and bump again with the patience. And like you said, it's not the prettiest goal, maybe by the eyes, but that shot was perfectly placed. Yeah. I mean, it was 13 inches off the ice. It was far post. Uh, not a lot that Isaac Posh can do um, on that shot. I mean, that's a goal scorer's goal. And again, just a great transitional play by the Broncos and a beautiful execution on that zone entry with the layers in that goal being scored by Alex Bump. Certainly would agree. You know, credit St. Cloud, though. I mean, they stuck with it. They did grab that two-goal lead right back before the end of the period. Really only took them uh, a minute and a half later. Jack Pierre, Josh Lidke, the defensive pairing finding Zach Okabe on the power play, his ninth of the season. Huskies take a 3-1 lead uh, into the final 20 minutes of regulation. Don't overchase. Costantini this time trying to push Peart outside the zone. The shot though finds the back of the net. Peart had the chance. Okabe with the touch. Power play goal. Gorgeous little redirect in front of the net, taking eyes away from the goaltender, Nick, going to the gritty areas of the ice. Have we ever mentioned this guy named Dave Shyak and grease pan goals before? <laughs> I think we have a picture of the the cast iron pan with the pucks in it from 2021 uh, during the national championship run. That's I believe that's still there, um, if I recall. But yeah, no, I mean, and. Uh, were your were your hairs in your back standing on edge just a little bit with that move from Jack Peter the blue line? Yeah. Uh, it's that's a gutsy play. Um, and for those watching at home or listening for your young kids, that's not a play that I think any coach, no matter what skill set you have, would want you to play there to turn your back against the play uh, to shield it. But. For Jack Peter, who can usually make the right play, makes it happen and gets the eyes up. And as you mentioned, Zach Okabe, he had two skits, uh, two sticks on him. Uh, Noah in the slot was able to fight it through, redirect it past Cameron Rowe, who was in good position, but just found the little opening, I think, to his right side. And uh, as you mentioned, power play goal Huskies regained that two goal advantage. Yeah, and you kind of felt like St. Cloud, maybe a little bit fortunate to come out in a two goal lead entering the final 20 minutes of regulation, but you hope they were going to run with it. Well, uh, within seven minutes that lead was a race we started the 416 mark alex bump telling an assist to luke granger this time a bit of a reciprocation on the opening goal three-point night for alex bump overall and just like that western michigan you'll see both of these goals almost identical in some senses the way that they're able to create rebounds off of essentially a pop play another great season for the bruins here is bump deflected in front back door dylan went another for number 37 Three to two, our new score. Good work in the corner as Western Michigan wins the battle and bump. Really good puck control. He's shooting for sticks, tips, anything. And that thing just snuck through a little bit of a puck with eyes. So the first key is he gets it past the defenseman. That's the number one part of it. Granger in front gets a bit of a stick on it, went. And I mean, no chance for... Isaac Posh on that one, one of his, uh, essentially his first Friday night start going kind of back to back with him. I thought he played fairly well. I mean, nothing he can really do on that one, Nick. Uh, similar MO to the way the Huskies got on the board for their third of the night. If the goalie can't see it, I don't know much, but it makes it a lot harder to stop it. Yeah, and in Western Michigan, really from the drop of the puck 
to the overtime winner, which we'll get to. Um, that was an area that they wanted to attack all night was they wanted bodies in front. They wanted to create screens. They wanted to really push the the ice up. They really wanted to collapse the offensive zone for the Huskies, really make them sort things out and more so just make it chaos in the house. Right, Noah. And, and that's one of those times where I think some of the adjustments that we saw was uh, bringing a Ford up to create another um passing option for them again yeah, the, the two two-on-ones in the first definitely was something pat Firstweiler wanted to avoid again uh and then to making sure pucks are getting through i think saint cloud one of the things that they did really well in the first two pairs is blocking shots out high this is what happens when you get a puck through and there's all that traffic sometimes it does find its way it does have eyes sometimes no as we call it in the business and it was able to sneak through posh it's now a three to two game huskies clinging on to that one goal lead yeah and you talk about plays in transition how about Pat Firstweiler's club turning the other direction. Owen Michaels finding Ethan Phillips for his ninth of the season less than two and a half minutes later. Just like that, we were all tied up at the end of regulation. Buck one by Ethan Phillips now along the wall. The Nova Scotia native up to Michaels. He'll wind and fire. Hush the initial stop, but it is Phillips there on the rebound. And we are all tied at three. Perfectly placed puck, Nick. And I'm just going to say... Yep. One of the most underrated goals of the weekend. I love that play. You practice it so much in practice, just trying to create a rebound. He knows he's probably not going to beat the goaltender clean. Hey, he's got F1 driving to the net on the weak side. He gets inside positioning on his defender. Just like that, Nick. In transition, the Huskies get burned again. He starts it and he finishes it, right? He carries the puck out of the defensive zone, kicks it out wide, and then beats Carl Falk. And and uh, I don't want to call out any one Huskies defender, you know, by name, but uh, Falk was was beat clean on that zone entry, uh, as you mentioned, inside position. And then, as you mentioned, the winger to recognize uh, the play at hand didn't have maybe necessarily the clean look. He was further out. It was a not a goal scorer's type situation on the ice. So he put did the pot play, right? You go far pad you look for that mm. rebound that comes straight out it did and then as you mentioned western michigan ford is in the right spot stick down he's able to tap at home again nothing much more isaac posh can do and we are all tied at the herbrooks national hockey center yeah and we were tying after regulation although a minute and a half before that you wouldn't have thought so if you were a huskies right. fan we're gonna get to that let's recap the actual scoring that well it counted on the score sheet Anyway, uh, two minutes exactly into overtime, Alex Bump, his second goal of the game, 11th of the season in three on three. This one was a pretty one. Seals the deal, at least officially on the score sheet. Western Michigan takes the victory in overtime. Colangelo with speed to Bump. He'll just cut it back. Alex Bump with the game winner. The second of the night for the freshman. Welcome back to in the NCHC standings. From the drop of the puck in overtime, it's been Western Michigan's puck. Colangelo with a great regroup. St. Cloud State got the change, even up the numbers. Just a tremendous individual play by Bump. Bump healed one in period number one. Turnover went the other way, and they scored. Since then, he's been the best player on the ice. Or if not the best, he's been in the top three, and he finishes it with a goal scorer's goal, low glove side after some nice lateral movement here to get himself into a good... Nick, I mean, just a great individual play. Uh, nothing you can yeah. really do about that one. Uh, sometimes you just have guys, goal scorers in overtime, step up in big moments. Alex Bump, after period number one, essentially 
was maybe one of the best players on the ice, as Dave Starman alluded to. He had a very good game down the stretch. Uh, whether or not you believe the Huskies should have been in overtime, Western Michigan was probably the better team in this game. I think if you want to be fair about it, hockey gods-wise, the result probably dictated about where we should have been. St. Cloud was efficient enough scoring-wise to earn a point out of this hockey game. Western Michigan was the better team, ultimately. How about that move at the end? There are times in hockey, Noah, where you just have to tip your cap. Yeah, you really do. And that is example 1A. Um, there's a reason why Alex Bump um, is a Philadelphia draft pick. And I can only imagine, because um, for those who may have forgot, he was uh, originally committed to Vermont and then reopened his commitment after some off-season, shall we say, unpleasantries within that organization. And I can only imagine how many phone calls he got, um, decided to go over to Western Michigan. And um, let's just say he's uh, felt pretty comfortable there at the Broncos. And just that curl and drag and, again, the the whereabouts to get the eyes up and then get picked almost the same spot an Isaac Posh there right above the glove there. And just, again, a very quick snap of the wrist. And it was in the back of the net in a, in a hurry. Um, that's a hell of a play by a, by a goal scorer. That's a skill play. Again, Huskies, you know, had the change. I thought they actually got back in position well. Uh, but when you make a move like that and give yourself some open ice, there's not a whole lot you can do to recover from that. And again, that's just a great individual effort by a great skilled player yeah beautiful exaggerated toe drag and release for the game winner well if you're a huskies fan though you thought under two minutes to play in regulation you should have never been in this spot we thought st cloud and miet and had the huskies on the board for the eventual potential game winner so to speak here we're going to run through it from a couple of angles we've got some slow-mo videos here got the view from the corner as well but let's run through the actual play in real time as heard on the broadcast Pierce at the blue line. Gassetti on his feet, ready to exit the box. Okabe across. Wide open back door. What a save by Cameron Rowe. How did he get open back door? And the senior somehow makes the stop. What a play by St. Cloud State. Oh. What a seam pass. And the kid I like to call the cowboy, Cam Rowe. Look at Derek Jeter here. Pass across. Look at this dive. Wow. Now, there was some question. Werner Mietnin pointing, saying he made that save after it had crossed the goal line. Oh, he's got a point, Dave. Well, you got to be able to see the puck. So this one will go to review, and Todd Anderson is the replay official who is just to our right. Regulation. I will tell you this. It's not really conclusive that the puck's in. I don't think it's a goal. Here comes the verdict. So it becomes. Now, Nick called no goal on the ice on the initial play. Reviewed nothing conclusive to overturn it. That's the only one with audio we have. We do have a couple of looks at it that we'll take a look that we can talk over here, Nick. Um, <laughs> you know, and, and first of all, I, I think the part that, you know, is most important and we'll kind of take a look at this here first from the we'll do the overhead cam first. I think then we'll go from the corner and then we'll slow things down from our overhead camera here. Uh in real time, Nick, this one is still a tough one because we've had conversations before that, yes, you know, this goal in the past, if the goaltender's glove is all the way across the line, we've called it a good goal before. The only problem is every time you rewind it through, logically from a hockey perspective, you can say, yep, we see, you know, the flash of the puck 
going in in the glove, everybody in the hockey world knows this puck is across the line just from what we've seen before in a hockey game. Mm -hmm. But unfortunately, Nick, you were actually up near the broadcast team on Friday night. This isn't an NHL building. This isn't an NHL rink. This isn't NHL quality video where you're getting beautiful slow motion frame rates here. Unfortunately for St. Cloud, that might be the difference here. Even as we look at this corner angle, Nick, very evident this glove is all the way across the line. So you mentioned glove, but you forgot to mention one thing, puck. Oh, is that important? Yeah, right. Um, So, and that's really, and so after the game, the NCHC official, uh, we spoke to him. um, uh, And I should say, when I say we see myself, Alex Heinert and Dave Starman had the wonderful opportunity to shadow those guys this weekend up with CBS. So much thanks to them and the whole CBS crew. They were excellent on Friday night. have to definitely tip my cap to them. Uh, But he just simply said, we got to see it. And the standard is I have to see the puck and I have to see white ice between the puck and the red line. So we can inference, as you mentioned, Noah, right in those two, you can make an inference, but that is not the officiating standard. And that would actually challenge with this. In fact, uh, Noah, on this overhead, look, if you see the whatever streak you can, the I don't know if the puck is actually across the line. The streak looks like it's hitting almost his wrist area. So again, the even the the vectors, as some would say, isn't necessarily in St. Cloud's favor. Regardless, there isn't a clear view of that puck. Um, and, and as you mentioned, I shared this video too in real time um, with our group chat. And again, you know, I, I think there was a moment of shock there for a moment. But when you watch it back over and over and over again, this was a lengthy review, at least three to four minutes of review. You just simply cannot properly identify the puck and it being across the line again. And to me, it's not necessarily a quality issue. I know some folks say, well, this is kind of blurry. This is a frame rate issue. There's just no way that the frame rate is high enough where, you know, it's I mean, it's it's similar in photography, right? If you want to capture fast motion, you got to be quick. And this camera and mind you, these are the same cameras that have been up in the herb for probably some time. And granted, I, I take pride as a as a graduate of that broadcast school and i know they take pride in having the best angles possible this camera just simply wasn't fast enough to be able to pause it at the right moment to see the puck across the line in the glove wherever you may be so that way they could clearly and conclusively the two key phrases there to make that call it sucks because uh you can see watching the bench for brett larson he was not happy with that call yeah i don't i don't blame him for not being happy because you would you would want to i would think if anything make sure that if the call was a goal on the ice i don't even think that's overturned either yeah i agree it's because of the video you know so i think that's the bigger question here is what doomed this play was the call on the ice because there was nothing in that video regardless of what the call in the ice was that was going to overturn it. Yeah, and you know, the other thing, so this final look, as we showed you, the the quick little slowdown video, for those who are kind of missing the streak of a puck, I slowed this video down to 2% of what the live speed is. This is like the best look that I can slow it down, even putting an arrow towards where the streak is, where this puck is coming from. You can see, I mean, there's the streak if you're looking at it on our YouTube page. Yep. Like, that, that's it. This is the moment where it's just coming across the crease before it's going to enter the glove, hit the cheater, the crook of the arm, whatever it truly was. 
Nonetheless, what we can tell you is even if it went in the net, it didn't stay out of the net for long. Even you can tell, I mean, I mean, pretty much 95% of the glove and where a puck would sit inside the actual piece of the glove, you know, logically, if he truly caught it in his glove, the puck's in the back of the net. From those of us who have played the game, even if you haven't played the game, you know the puck's in the back of the net. You know, you look at the corner angle, which gives a really good look of if the puck is truly in that webbing, that glove is over the line. Now, the the other thing that dooms this play, Nick, and this is a quite obvious one here, what a hell of a save. Regardless of the yeah. fact that whether or not it did cross the line, you know, Cam Rowe, I mean, leaving it in doubt, you know, actually yeah. making this save in what is a fairly wide open net, great release as well, a tight angle shot, tough to try to hit your mark, put it about where you'd want to put it as a shooter mid height, make the goaltender have to take a stab at it with his hand. I mean, Nick, it's just, it's as good as it gets as far as saves are concerned. Now, if you want to, and Noah, just just because I'm going to play devil's advocate here, if you want to be upset at one thing, if you're saying, Clint, I think you have an argument here. If you could actually go back to that corner angle. Sure. Um, because I think there's actually more that you could see from this. Granted, the overhead is the conclusive puck over the line. But if you can pause it right about here, look where the referee is positioned when that puck hits the glove. He's like right Keep in line. Right there right so my question is and this is where and maybe this is a question for mike schmidt who is the nchc director of fishing we've had him on the show before would be how much in this situation after the call on the ice is made can the referee go back and rethink about it and say you know what i think i saw the puck in his glove at that moment as you're showing it right there and sink it with the overhead and then right make that conclusion right or is it that simple in review it now becomes all of what we can see and not about what we interpret i would think it's probably more the latter at that point but i think if the coaching staff in real time wants an argument as the referee is in perfect line sight there yeah and did he ever see the puck in the webbing of the glove in a particular time and again it's happening so fast right we forget how fast this happens um that you know was there an argument there i probably not but uh again uh i think what we're forgetting here noah is that for a team that didn't play its best hockey that gave western michigan a team that they're chasing in the pairwise essentially right and also trying to keep pace in north dakota and the nchc they gave themselves a, a point they gave themselves a chance this sucks because it would have been really nice to get two wins and six points. But overall, I mean, also, you can't give up a two-goal lead to begin the third. Uh, defensively, you know, the Huskies were exposed a bit in the third. And uh, at the end of the day, um, what we're going to talk about is their response to that yeah, which on was, Saturday night. Which was very good. And, you know, when I think of Brett Larson's comments, and, and don't forget, this is somewhat in the moment for him to kind of fresh off right. of the loss and knowing his team didn't play well. I take Brett's comments with a grain of salt as someone who knew they kind of played like dog shit they let the game slip away and they still had a chance to come away unscathed they didn't and i think right. that that's where kind of it it comes more from that frustration and emotion of sometimes in the nchc you need a little bit of a bounce you need to create your own luck yeah. a little bit still just didn't happen for the huskies my final point here you talk about the officiating i'm going to take a 
page out of the playbook for actually the Minot Minotauros. They have cameras directed at the front of the nets from the press box on either side. If you were truly going to do it right, you'd need essentially multi-cams, one on each side of the rink. But yep. you also look from this corner angle, you also have the weak side official who's up at the blue line. The other thing here is if you have the backside official who sees this play says, you know what, I think I saw it in the glove at this time. If you have the official that's standing in front of the Western Michigan bench here that says, yep, I saw it hit the webbing of the glove, it went as far back into the glove as it possibly can, which as we can see from this frozen angle here, it's clearly in the net, right? Mm -hmm. Then you can say, you know what? I saw this weak side official says, I also saw that. I think this ended up in the back of the net. And then again, if you have an overhead view and the corner view here, like you said, and you can match it up with two simultaneous cameras, that are seeing either direction essentially in that same realm as being at the blue line on either side as the backside official on the blue line. If you can see that as well and say, yeah, well, clearly the webbing is disappearing. You can see this puck going in the net, you know, but that takes time. That costs money, that costs wiring, that costs restructuring, everything like that. The, the end argument is, Nick, as much as we know from a hockey perspective, like if you brought me up to heaven and you said here's the difference i know what really happened as as god or whatever entity you believe in do you think this puck went in the net my answer to get into the pearly gates is yes i think that puck ended right. up fully crossing the goal line but with the technology we had with the save that was made with everything that happened it was the right call given the circumstances because the technology allowed it to be inconclusive, whereas in the National Hockey League and by our own judgment as hockey fans, we can fairly logically make a strong and likely accurate prediction. It was probably in the back of the net, but we just will never know. And the Huskies ended up getting the fate they probably deserved on Friday. And I'll just finish with this. I think when you talk about talking with other referees, that has to happen before the call on the ice. Yeah. I think the call on the ice sets the tone, right? And if they make that call, yes, it's the goal. Again, the overhead, I think once it gets to video review, they can only rely on, again, what they see. Um, I'll finish with this because I think it's interesting. Um, it's amazing how we're in the age of where there's generative AI and whatnot, I think most fans are generated AI that the puck was in Cameron Rose glove. And I think all of us would be like, Hmm, yeah, that's actually it, pretty realistic. Yeah, it, it would have uh, had to, it, it would have had to have hit the cheater or the crook of his arm for it to not be a goal, just based exactly. on anatomy. And you do wonder too, as I mentioned before in the group chat, if the camera frame rate was a bit quicker, mm -hmm. um, if you could have seen it. And, and this is the part that I wonder, even if there maybe isn't a perfect sight of the puck, but even if the frame rate shows the puck as you hits the webbing, yep, does that make a difference, right? So, you know, again, we'll never know. At the end of it, Huskies feel like maybe they got cheated. Uh, as we've said before, this is the correct call based on how they have to make the call. It sucks. We get it. But it couldn't have really been called either, you know, another way based on what we saw. Um, so at the end of the day, as you mentioned, I think Brett would agree. And as his post game comments, I think we're strategically pointed. Yeah, I think it was what we would call Noah is um, felt like he maybe thought he was going to steal one, didn't and then decided to you know, voice some uh, some frustrations, mm -hmm. like you said, fresh in the moment. I think those comments were 
um, uh, accurate. I, I don't think they were, you know, out of line by any stretch of the imagination. Huskies, at the end of the day, as he would say, it's not about how you um, get dropped. It's no how you can get yourself back up. And that's where yep. we're going to talk about a much better effort on Saturday all around for the Huskies. Yeah, as uh, a former Huskies Warming House podcast avid listener might say, that call in his mind was maybe uh, ill-advised. Uh, anyway, <laughs> that that's a throwback that we haven't pulled out in quite a while. But nonetheless, yeah. <laughs> attendance of 4,100 on Saturday. The Huskies do play much better than this one. It took until period number three for them to get on the board, though. Both teams scoreless on the man advantage. 0 for 3 for Western, 0 for 2 for the Huskies, who outshoot the Broncos 27-19. 8-5 in the first, 13-6 in the second. Actually outshot 8 Six in the third by the Broncos, who tried to make a late push. Nonetheless, the Huskies, 32 face-off wins, 27 losses. A much better response all the way around. Isaac Posh gets the net again, stops all 19 in this one in back-to-back games for him. Very good to see. Vieti Mietnin gets the Huskies on the board 17 seconds into the third period. His 14th of the season, Joey Molinar and brother Werner tallying assist. Then the Huskies cap this one off 17-02 and 18-47. A pair of empty netters, Kyler Kupka and Joey Molinar with their 13th and 8th respectively. Dylan Anhorn, Mason Salquist assists on the first. Vieti multi-point night with an assist on the second. Empty netter multi-assist night for Werner Mietnin who was the secondary on Joey Molinar. And just like that, the Huskies do take this one by a score of three to nothing. What do the Huskies need to do to break through? Find the back of the net, get some eyes. Just there we go. Pull from his backhand to his forehand and probably go low blocker. I think that'd be a good idea. Oh, my God, that just happened. What what do you know? Yeah, that's what you had to do. You had to cross the guys. Where is that gentleman sitting? Salquist wins that critical draw. Anhorn sends it out. Kupka empty net. Scores! I love this kid. Tyler Kupka's got two bodies on him. One slides through trying to get the puck. But Kyler Kupka is a loose. Bump with it in traffic. And Mietnin's able to push there it out. Go. Here's Molinar after it. Joey Molinar with the empty net. Scores! Yes. And that is the most appropriate empty net going. Oh my goodness, this, look at all that hard work along the boards. And then Joey Molinar, and you get a little slingshot here. I love this. I can't tell who set off Shulet or not, but there's a nice little slingshot by his teammate to try and give him an extra pop to get underneath the stick. And you know what? Just out of sheer first. Nick, and the thing that I like the most, uh, obviously traffic in front on the first goal from the point. Huskies finally get rewarded. I like both the empty net goals. Win a battle in your own zone, high float, winning foot races to end up capping off the first one. And the second, hard battle on the half wall. Guys fighting to get the puck out. Weak side forward, streaks across, wins the foot race, gets it done, shields off the defender. Huskies win 3-0. Great response. Four points overall on the weekend. 
and uh, both empty nets, not a slap shot goal. So that means we didn't uh, have any extracurriculars. So that's oh, nice. <laughs> I had to. I'm sorry. It's, just, it's been such a topic of conversation that I think that was worth mentioning. Uh, but no, to, to like you said, um, you know, you, you got to take advantage of those. And the Huskies, like I said, simple plays again, you know, winning foot races and more so winning those battles along the wall uh, and getting it out to the right forwards. And uh, Abakuka is the first empty netter, right? The, the, the perfect alley-oop, right? That lands right at his feet just makes that nice cut across to his backhand and a nice little soft play to get it in the empty wool four by six but uh a much better play overall for the huskies again three nothing the victory and getting four of six right yep yep four or six points on the weekend against a hey. team they were chasing hey and you know obviously it wasn't the perfect six points that maybe the huskies or maybe even five points that they were maybe hoping for nick but you know the biggest thing uh, and the most important thing, this was a massive weekend for St. Cloud. What do I mean it by that? Was. Look at the pairwise. Yeah. They're now in sole possession of 11 right now. Western Michigan right behind at 12. Uh, CC dropping now to 15 after the weekend. Um, and then Providence right ahead in that 10 spot, rounding out that secondary group. So, I mean, you're, you're looking ahead at a team that you are facing this weekend, Denver at six right now. You know, so... You've got an opportunity here. Um, you have to be at least 500 in the final weekend to take three out of four against Duluth on the season. I think there's 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 no secret about that. But you know, St. Cloud essentially has a chance to. I don't want to say punch above their weight class, but they have an opportunity to kind of gain ground a little bit and maybe solidify and keep themselves a little bit more safe heading into the final mm -hmm. weekend of the regular season. Now, quarterfinals, you got to really be careful because the Huskies are likely going to be in a home ice spot. So you got to make sure you take care of business, especially if they get Duluth back to back. If they finish in second, that's a kind of a dangerous uh, proposition there. But, uh, um, mm -hmm. you know, St. Cloud could drop. I would say they have to be at least 500 or better in the last weekend of the regular season and they can't drop more than one to the Bulldogs in that quarterfinal series. They have to, they have to punch their ticket to the frozen face off in that scenario. They do. But, you know, the focus here this upcoming weekend is Denver St. Cloud. If they could get one, if not two victories or take the majority of the points this weekend could maybe push themselves maybe in that nine spot potentially and, and give themselves a little bit more breathing room. Overall, you know, even they didn't play the greatest on Friday, I think it was still an okay weekend. Good building blocks. I, 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 I'm not unenamored with the play, especially on Saturday. It was very good hockey for the Huskies. Now let's see if they can do it in back-to-back -back weekends. And that's the key, right, is, you know, this is, we talked about this a week, if not two weeks ago, that this was exactly the same time that sank out after a rough January, February that started to kind of figure things out a little bit albeit late in the regular season they went on a nice little run uh the difference between last year and this year is that last year they had a really nice non-conference uh, record this year they, it wasn't the best right so they've put themselves in a position where the, the these points are a little bit more meaningful um and again taking four of six and more importantly a essentially getting at least one from Western Michigan. And they got some help this weekend, too, in the pairwise, right? You yep. love being sitting at 11 as opposed to 13 or 14, if maybe not 15 entering the weekend. They were in official bubble territory. Now, if you can get one against Denver, I think you've done your job. Um, yep. You get two, you're in a really good spot. But I think, as you alluded to, Noah, that is you cannot drop one against Minnesota Duluth, period. Yep. no matter what so I, I they're still in a situation where no matter what happens with denver um and i would well 
we'll say it this way, if they drop both to Denver, then absolutely you cannot drop one against Duluth. I think you'll be right back to that probably 15, 13, 14 spot, yeah. uh, depending on that's, you know, the rest of the league. Because, I mean, look, look what happened to Colorado College. You jump, what, five or six, and then you go back down like four or five. You know, so there's still some room to slide up and down, yeah. and you're not anywhere near the, uh, the safe zone just yet. So um, a lot of work to be done. But again, as you mentioned, not the best weekend, but certainly not the worst weekend for St. Cloud. A lot of things you can build on. Uh, but now just try to flip the page and prepare for Denver with the mindset that you have an opportunity to continue to better your position and get yourself in a better spot for an at-large bid. Big loss to Northeastern for Maine at seven this weekend. They dropped down to nine, by the way, too. So keep an eye on that. If the Huskies, based mm-hmm. on the fact that they've, you know, have Duluth earlier this season. If they win on that Friday night up at Amsoil, um, series-wise, they're okay head-to-head. So I think if they can just get that first one, takes the monkey off the back. And I'd like to see them play a little bit more relaxed uh, heading into this upcoming weekend against Denver. Just do what you got to do and uh, maybe kind of take a breath of fresh air and play the hockey we know that they can. On the women's side here, we might cruise a little bit quicker through this because not much to talk about. Really, it's going to be a a big conversation next week here. Women's hockey all set for the WCHA quarterfinal. You want to talk pairwise, by the way. Speaking of, the women's team, no change for them. Did what they had to do with a sweep this weekend at 10, right behind Duluth at 9 in the pairwise. So the fact that they're going to get the Bulldogs this upcoming weekend in the WCHA quarterfinals will not hurt them. Uh, So, you know, just continue to try to garner points where you can and try to move on to the next stage of the playoffs. It truly is game on for this women's hockey team. But, um, Let's recap this past weekend. We, Like I said, we don't have video recaps just because of the fact that uh, essentially the women's team did exactly what they were supposed to do this weekend. So um, otherwise, in the WCHA, the regular season did finish this last weekend. Uh, St. Thomas beating Mankato on night number one, three to two, um, and the second night, 5-4 in overtime to cap off their regular season. Gophers and Duluth, 1-1 final in overtime. The Gophers, I believe, won that one in the shootout, essentially for the WCHA points. Uh, and then in night number two, 4-2, the final for the Gophers to get the unofficial sweep, so to speak. But not really a sweep, if you know what I mean. Then Wisconsin mm-hmm. drops to Ohio State 3-1 in the first night, wins 4-2 in the second night for our last game in the WCHA Uh that was the late night game. So um pair of big dogs going up. That series had pretty much everything that we expected. And then if you're St. Cloud State, you had a Friday and Saturday night matchup with the Bemidji State Beavers. And it was the Greta Henderson show. She ended up having a hat trick in this one, one goal in the first, and then two at the tail end of period number three, including a couple of lasers to seal the deal. Huskies score twice in the second period, carried a 3-0 lead into the third. Ultimate score was 5-1 in favor of St. Cloud, who outshot Bemidji 27-18 in this one, um, and also tacked on a power play goal in three opportunities. 25 wins, 22 losses in the faceoff dot. Jojo Choback stopping 17 of 18 she saw in night number one. Exactly the recipe we talked about that the Huskies needed. They repeated it on Saturday. Next 6-2 was the final. St. Cloud actually, despite being ahead 1-0, was down 2-1 five and a half minutes into period number two. They responded at the tail end of the second to carry a 3-2 lead into the third. They didn't look back with three straight goals uh, in this one. Emma Gentry, a hat trick in this one, a natural hat trick to boot 
at the tail end of period number two and the start of period number three. Katie Kaufman, Taylor Larson, Sofiana Sunderland also scoring as the Huskies outshoot Bemidji 45 to 20 in this one missing on both power play opportunities they were perfect on the kill this weekend where the huskies and sonia hola stopped 18 of 20 she saw i know that's a bit of an abbreviated recap of essentially the weekend but it's exactly the recipe we wanted from the huskies they end up scoring 11 total goals give up three on the weekend did what they had to do stayed pat in the pairwise now it's essentially game on here nick what did you like from the weekend from the women's team uh they scored <laughs> a lot <laughs> Uh, yeah. And uh, as we talked about in the previous episodes, right, it's the offense that has been really dry the second half of this season. And granted, you know, no disrespect to Bemidji, that's not been the best of seasons for them and defensively, offensively. But as you as we talked about, this was a matchup you had to have. You had to have them both in regulation uh, for a the pairwise and two. you know, we wanted to see this offensive explosion. Uh, you played Minnesota Duluth really close you lost you played minnesota really close you lost right you played wisconsin i think really tight you lost right a lot of it because you couldn't put more than one or two uh goals up in on the back of the net so uh getting this um, amount of offense granted against not maybe the best team in college hockey you still wonder if that triggers a little bit of confidence right and you kind of hope you get it because duluth you've already shown that you've taken them in december you got them in a tie uh, technically a shootout loss or an overtime loss, I think. And then you were able to beat them before the holiday break. So you have done it. But this is now the new season, right? It's a whole new ball game, And you kind of hope that St. Cloud takes some of that confidence that we saw this past weekend, but also looks at this as a blank sheet of paper, right? Um, they have not been out of the quarterfinals in some time. It'd be nice to see them make a change on that. Because realistically speaking, Noah, um, 17 wins in the regular season this year, um, 18 for last year. So it's very, very identical. Uh, but really where this program needs to take a step is in is now is in the playoffs, right? Yep. This is where if you're trying to, you know, sell the idea that this program really has started to turn a corner, this is where they're going to have to show it. I think they have the roster that is capable of doing so. Question is, can they put their best on the ice a couple of nights in a row, get to at least Minneapolis to, I believe, Ritter Arena, where the WCHA, um, the the last two games were played? I think that's important to this group. Yep. Uh, we'll see what they do, right? Um, you hope that, again, like I said, they take everything from this last weekend. They put it together with some of the strong defensive play we've seen from them over the past couple of months and see if they can irk out a couple of wins and get to a place where no Husky team has been since, was it 2000? 2012, 2011, somewhere in there, yep. was I think the last time they got out of the corner final round. So it's been a while, and um, yeah, it'd be nice just like to see that that advancement. 17, 15, and two in the regular season. 12, 14, and two in the WCHA this year. Coming off of a three-game winning streak, entering the playoffs, a shootout win against Duluth, and the pair of victories against Bemidji State. If you're looking pairwise, like we mentioned, you hope that UConn, Yale, Princeton, Northeastern, Penn State, any of those teams do not provide an upset in any capacity entering the upcoming playoff weekends here. As far as the WCHA regular season standings, where we finished here before we get to the playoff bracket, Bemidji. Bemidji State was in last at 10 points, one point shy of 7th place St. Thomas on the season. Mankato, 18 points, kind of in no man's land at 6th place right there. The Huskies, 40 points on the season. 
Duluth, 47 points, rounding out the last of the home ice spots. Gophers, 59 points for them at three. Wisconsin, 69 points for them. And Ohio State, how about the fact, 26-2 in the WCHA, 78 points. Uh, but there was a certain team that bested them this year that uh, we may have just mentioned. But um, all in all, uh a very good WCHA season. I think we had a lot of intrigue until we kind of hit maybe the last couple weeks of the regular season where things kind of started to open up a little bit. But we talked about how important a couple of those games for St. Cloud were. I mean, you get the victory against Mankato, you get the victory against St. Thomas, suddenly you're one point shy if you win both of those in regulation against Duluth. Things get a lot more interesting going back to last weekend. Nonetheless, as you mentioned, Nick, it's a moot point for them. First round brackets start this upcoming Friday through Sunday. Best of three series here in the WCHA first round. Other matchups going on. The Gophers uh, in that three spot will host the number six Minnesota State Mankato Mavs. One seed Ohio State gets Bemidji State at home. The two seed faces the seven seed Wisconsin hosting St. Thomas. And four and five, the number four Minnesota Duluth Bulldogs hosting St. Cloud State up in Duluth. Four o'clock Central is the start for that opening game on Friday, March 1st. Nick, I I think I speak for both of us very clearly. Essentially, technically in, in a weird way, two to two was the season split between these two teams, the, the Bulldogs and the Huskies. Battle of the Dogs in the WCHA quarterfinals, Nick very doable for the first time in maybe a decade and a half for this women's program. They certainly have the ability. If they played the defensive game they have, goaltenders do what they've done. They supplement a little offense we saw in the first half of the season. Very possible the Huskies end up playing hockey the week after this upcoming weekend. It is. Uh, you know, granted, as much as you know, we haven't necessarily been enamored with their second half, a lot of those have been very, very close games. Uh, very, very close. Again, defensively, they've been good. Goaltending, we've talked about all season between Showback and Sonia Hola. Both those ladies, outstanding seasons. It's been uh, a luxury to have a 1A, 1B tandem that the Huskies can trot in and out of the lineup. Uh, so the question is now, can, the, like you said, the supplemental offense, I think that's going to be the key for the run here for St. Cloud. Um, and maybe so from just a maybe a mentality perspective, it's it's tough. It's it's easier said than done, Noah. But I think this ladies team has to find the confidence too, right? That they can do it. Um, we talked about this with Idolski too, and some of the post game pressers um, after some frustratingly close losses. And um, let's just say that the mood in the locker room feels good. Um, I know that they felt like some of those games they let slip away, but I also feel like they also think they're that close. Uh, so you just kind of hope that they take that same attitude, that same approach into these playoff games, know that they have beaten Minnesota Duluth once technically twice, right? With a shootout win. Um, and the other two, we're very, very close. I mean, it could have gone either way. So St. Cloud, this is the matchup that we thought we would see. Granted, we'd hoped with the home ice uh, host would have been flipped, but this is exactly what we had written up uh, if, to get to this point. So now the Huskies have to take advantage of it, put the pedal to the metal and leave it all out there because I really do think if they do, they got a chance to get it to, to Minneapolis. I really feel like this roster can do it. Yeah, and now as we've kind of talked about as well too, just looking at some of these, uh, the top dogs in, in each of the divisions except for the N, uh, 
the Northeast, the NEWHA and the CHA are on the outside looking in pairwise wise. So if you want to be technical about it, depending on some upsets, things that kind of happen, the Huskies still technically at 10 could make the NCAA tournament even without winning this weekend, but they would need a little bit of help essentially is kind of the way to look at that. In my mind, with three games against Duluth, if St. Cloud wins this weekend, I think that might be just enough to push them into that conversation to make the big dance. 10 is a just kind of an awkward little spot for them to be right now. Even Duluth at nine, kind of interesting. But if the Huskies can get two victories this weekend, I think they probably punch their ticket. Nonetheless, it's been a very good season so far, despite a kind of a rocky second half where they haven't gotten the results. But really, you have to play either literally or figuratively, depending on how the rest of the country shakes out over the next weekend, as if your season is on the line. It, this is It's playoff hockey now. You have to play with that desperation. This team has a chance to do it. We talked about it. It's going to take the offensive bounce. And the other thing is, is Brian Idolski comfortable with the fact that you might have a game where you know, if you lose one of these games or go down into game number three and things get kind of interesting, maybe you only roll five defensemen or four defensemen. Clara Himmlerova slots back up on a forward line here late in a hockey game. Have to be willing to make those kind of adjustments. Goaltenders, you know, just got to kind of stick to the process they've been doing. Defensively, St. Cloud has given themselves a chance more often than not in these hockey games. These Duluth games have been largely low scoring, especially on the Duluth side that we've seen. The Huskies win 5-1 a couple of months ago. This is going to be an exciting week, Nick. It's been a long time, I think, since we've been excited for this team entering playoff time. They've usually had one game in the playoffs where they've given the team that they've been playing a run for their money. This year is one where St. Cloud should be in the mix. If they get knocked out, they should be one-goal games, overtime games, come right down to the wire. I mean, how about you? you got to be absolutely stoked to see this team finally have a chance to do some damage on the road once again in Duluth. I do. Um, and you mentioned Clara Hemler over, right? What a asset she has been. Imagine where this team would be um, without Clara Himmlerova and just her upbringing and just her willingness to go wherever the team is needed for defensemen. Um, I think as much as I, you know, if you need offense, I think you could see Idolski in a game type situation, season in the line, be here, have her pulled up. The problem is, is with the makeup on the blue line right now, you don't really have a defender that has a good, shall we say, IQ that can get a first pass out there that can use their feet that just can lead a breakout like Hilmarova does. Um, So you talk about if there's been one big handicap, and I say that not, you know, in a, I should say this, I say that in a figurative sense, but with the injuries to Grace Rolf and Reagan Bulger, just not being able to dress six to seven defensemen that are mm-hmm. true D and not being able to have him roll up there sparking the offense has probably been a big reason why the second half has been a little bit more, shall we say, uh, not to Sub- their liking subdued. when lost. Yep. Yeah, but at the end of the day, you know, you take him out, I'm not sure if we're having the same conversation. I think this team is a further in a different conversation than we're having right now. So uh, it's again, I still think they can do it. Um, we're out to see how aggressive slash how 
Idolski manages it. Again, you're on the road, which means you do not get last change. Yeah. I'd like to see the matchups that he puts out there. Um, again, do or die. Um, this team has a chance. Um, they're again, Gentry's going to have to have a big weekend. I think mm-hmm. ladies like Avery Farrell have got to find ways to put the buck, uh, the puck in the net. So we'll see um, if they do it. They've got a chance. Um, and like you said, I think they need to get to Minneapolis to feel more comfortable pairwise. Because um, if they do that, you know, this is going to be another step, right? And I think that's one thing we have to talk, touch here real quick, Noah, is even if you get to the NCAA tournament, let's just say maybe that the the result maybe isn't fantastic. Just getting there and getting themselves on the national stage is still a step in the process. Now, granted, we'll talk about this in further weeks, but this roster is going to look significantly different. Yep. Uh, and let's just say that the the age is going to be swaying a lot closer to zero than it is going to be to 30 after <sighs> this year. So we'll put it to you that way. They're going to lose a lot of veterans this year, which is going to be uh, not a great part of the process. But uh, either way, I think the, the leadership on this squad in the past couple of years, uh, we've already mentioned a couple of Gentry, Cholback, a whole other all seniors. I've got to be commended for the work they've done to get the Huskies to this point. See if they can have a great last ride. They can do it. Let's just hope that they can execute. Yeah, and that's what we talked about, Clara Hemlarova. Do you feel comfortable going down swinging? High risk, high reward in certain situations. We'll have to see. It's going to be an exciting week of can't miss hockey in the WCHA. In two weeks' time, the men's season will officially be wrapping up. The WCHA uh, final grouping in the playoffs will be wrapping up at that time as well. So in the next two weeks, we'll finish out the NCHA regular season. Denver and Minnesota Duluth for the men. And on the women's side, it's playoff time to try to get to the NCAA tournament. That will do it for episode 200. For Nick Maxson, I'm Noah Grant, and we will see you soon in the den. Timer coming, they score! Ripped in! A bomb from Perrix! So Dana Rasmussen fires and she scores! Dana Rasmussen for the Huskies alongside. Dwayne Kaprizov in for a chance to win it! He scores! Cathedral is now 42.6 seconds away from wrapping up the school's first ever title.